This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you drive long haul, short haul, or heavy haul, they're here to empower and inspire women in the trades on TNCRadio.live. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy DeCaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in trucking, in the trades, and every profession. We tackle all kinds of topics and work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley. And I'm Kathy. No topic is not allowed on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics. And we like to feature experts, champions, and celebrities who can assist women in being the best they can be. People who have had mental health challenges sometimes feel like they've hit a brick wall, especially when they're misunderstood or can't get the answer or help that they need. Women especially often feel marginalized and misunderstood. The good news is mental health challenges can be overcome. Emily Grossman is a living example. She believes that mental health challenges are not a life sentence. They're a springboard to your higher self. Emily has endured mental health challenges and come into her own place of recovery. Her motto is Life Beyond My Diagnosis. And she has a new book called Unlocked, From Psych Hospital to Higher Self, 25 Keys to Recovering from Depression, Anxiety, or Bipolar Disorder. Emily is with us today to offer her insight and tell her story. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you so much, Shelley. So, Emily, you have an amazing story to tell. I thought maybe we'd start with that so people can kind of get an idea of what you've been through. Yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you so much, Shelly and Kathy, for having me on the podcast today. I'm really so excited to be here. And I do hope that my story can really inspire women everywhere. Um, so, a little bit about me. I when I was, I guess, growing up, I was really um, a hard worker in school. I did pretty well academically. I had a nice group of friends and um, was involved in high school and lots of activities. So I bring this up to show that I was not someone that it would have been expected to experience a behavioral health challenge. And behavioral health challenges happen to people all across the board. It doesn't matter what your um, experiences are growing up. It doesn't matter what your race is or your socioeconomic experiences. They just happen across the board. In fact, one in five of us in the US um, has a mental health diagnosis. And so um, when I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, I brought with me kind of a fractured self. Um, while I was very active in school, I was behind the scenes. I was a great actress and behind the scenes, I was really starting to struggle by the time I was 16 with depression and anxiety. That was really crippling but I functioned through it somehow. And so when I got to Emory, while the first couple of weeks I was on this pink cloud, loving college, loving my new friends, um, 
little by little, I started to notice a quote unquote darkness come over me. And eventually, right after my birthday, I had a very serious series of panic attacks that um, were so difficult that I could not leave my dorm room. And I I stopped going to class, my self-care fell away. And little by little, I started really struggling with my mental health more and more. My, I didn't know what was going on. This was in the 90s. So my only exposure to mental illness of any kind was on the show Beverly Hills 90210. I know I'm dating myself, but the main character, Brendan, had a girlfriend who had a mental illness and she mm. was always causing trouble on the show. So I didn't want to be like that. And that was my only experience seeing or interacting with people with mental illness in any capacity. So I um, was taken home from school, and that's when I had my first um, experience in a psychiatric hospital. And I was 18 years old. I was very quickly diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And the psychiatric hospital was a very scary experience. And I went from being a college student to the to the to for the first time in my life. Um, being considered a quote unquote mental patient. And I, I use that in with a lot of air quotes because that's not how I look at people with behavioral health challenges at all. Um, but after that, I um, was in and out of the hospital while I was in college. I, I transferred to Rutgers University in New Jersey and to be close to doctors. And while I was in college, I was in and out of the psych hospital about 12 times and um, experiencing everything from manic episodes, which are the high highs, um, you can't sleep, sometimes there's some delusional thinking, to very low lows where I was deeply depressed and suicidal. And um, also, by the end of my college career, I was experiencing psychosis, which is seeing and hearing things that are not there. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated college in that state. Somehow I was able to leave hospitalizations, go back to class, and it was a, a real back and forth. And um, I was proud of my graduation because I was, I felt like from what I knew of people with behavioral health challenges, um, it was harder for us to do things like graduate college, but not impossible. But at that point, I had nowhere to live. I was in my last psychiatric hospital they interviewed me for the state hospital, which is a long-term institutionalization with really no end date in mind. And they did that because I was not functioning in society at that point. I was really struggling to just care for myself every day. And while I got out of that placement, I was not hospitalized um, in the institution. Um, I was then brought um, to a program, a day program during the day, and I was watching all of my college friends go off, work in New York City, and have these really fun lives, it seemed, and my life was just falling way behind. 
And so um, from there, I um, really just, my sister sent me a book by Anthony Robbins, the motivational speaker mm -hmm. called Awaken the Giant Within. And I just read a little, little bit of his story and how he was re really able to turn his life around. And I thought to myself, why not me? And why couldn't I turn my life around? And I started working with a therapist on a kind of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, which in short, it's really a class on how to manage difficult emotions and deal with difficult relationships. And you take it like a class, you do homework, and then you work individually with your therapist on coping skills to manage your intense emotions. And little by little, I got my first job um, out of college, which I had no worker skills. So about nine months later, unfortunately, I lost that job. And then I, I went through a series of jobs like that and just was not able to keep a job because aside from not having worker skills, some of the medications that I was on were really making me struggle. Sure. And so I was struggling with being able to stay awake on a job even. And um, at some point I said to myself, if you're going to work and be successful, it has to be something that you're passionate about. And I remembered that when I was younger, I used to line up all my dolls in my basement and we had a blackboard and I would teach them the day's lessons that I had learned in school. And, you know, we had all the Barbies, all the Ken dolls and, you know, my Cabbage Patch Kid wasn't really so well behaved, but I forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I realized that I felt this calling to become an educator. And so I um, applied to graduate school in education and was accepted into Columbia University's Teachers College. And to this day, I don't know how I got in. I mean, I really, I, I, I did pretty well academically, but I had to withdraw so many times from classes. So I had a lot of withdrawals on my, um, on my transcript. But either way, I um, got into graduate school, I went to graduate school, and everyone was actually advising me not to go because it involved taking out a, a student loan. I was barely paying my bills before I went to grad school, but I felt this calling to go. And once I got there, within the first week of graduate school, I was sitting in class with one of my um, fellow students and I turned to her and I said, one day I'm going to become a Buddhist. <laughs> and I thought she was going to, you know, I she gave me this look and I thought she was, she just was like, not understanding me and thinking I was a little bizarre but she looked at me and she said I'm a Buddhist and there's a meeting tonight and you should come oh wow but yeah the <laughs> likelihood of talking to somebody who happened to be a Buddhist when you wanted to become one wow <laughs> yeah yeah and so um I went to the meeting and, you know, I was raised in another faith and I don't know where that actually came from, 
but I had been doing a lot of reading and trying to make sense of what had happened to me and what the trajectory of my life. And a lot of it had more Eastern philosophical practices when I was reading about things. Mm-hmm. And I um, liked the meeting so much that I started to learn about the, the philosophy and the practice of it. And um, the practice involved a lot of meditation. And the meditation is what really started to transform my life. Um, so while I was in graduate school, I meditated for the full year and I started to notice that my symptoms started to go away and I was still on medication. I was still seeing a therapist, but those things hadn't changed. And I wish they did a brain scan of my brain in the beginning and my brain now because Mm. it's dramatically different. But so from there, I started teaching sixth and seventh grade, which I loved. But a lot of my students were coming to me with their own mental health concerns. And I I wasn't out about my experiences. But little by little, I started to realize that I wanted to make a difference for those students. And as a teacher, I was in the public schools. I was really discouraged from getting involved when a student was struggling in this way beyond just writing a referral to a guidance counselor. So I decided um, to look into getting into mental health and mental health care. And I couldn't afford to take out another loan to go to graduate school again for a master's in social work or psychology, but they were training in New Jersey people to become what's called a peer provider, which is a person with lived experience of behavioral health challenges Mm -hmm. that helps others to recover through their own lived experience. And I was then hired by an organization to work alongside psychiatrists and social workers as a peer provider. And I learned all about diagnosis and treatment, and I was providing mental health care. And I did that for a number of years, and I loved it so much. And my recovery was getting so strong that I realized that I wanted to combine my passion for educating with my passion for the idea that people with mental health challenges could recover. And when I say recovery, you know, this is a word that we bat around a lot, and it's very rarely um, considered when we're talking about people with behavioral health challenges. But when, when I speak of recovery, what I speak about is that I, at this point in my life, and for the last 15 years have not experienced deep depression and suicidal thoughts. I have not had a manic episode. I have not been hospitalized and I have not experienced psychosis. Um, That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is impressive. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you must feel so good. (laughs) uh, You know, it's one of those things where when you overcome something that dark and challenging that is with you for that long, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the eight from the age of 18 until I was about 29 or 30. 
Um, so that period of time of darkness, and when you come to the other side of that, you just want to shout from the rooftops, number one, that it's possible. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and for me, I was always the kind of person who wanted to make a difference in the world. So I just didn't know how. And so I really feel that it's my mission and my calling to give people hope that recovery is possible. You're bringing a lot of hope to people, Emily. That's absolutely marvelous. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at truckingmovesamerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're talking with Emily Grossman, who's been through the mental health system and is spreading the word that mental health challenges are not a life sentence. She spreads the word of how she reached her own recovery and teaches that true recovery really is possible. Is that Um, something that is typically talked about, though? It seems like in the mental health community, even, they don't say you're going to recover from this. Yes. It's something you have to manage. Yes, which is Mm -hmm. why I got into the field of um, training mental health professionals. And for the last 10 years, my career has been around training mental health professionals and selling them on this idea that, yes, people can and do recover. And um, so it's not a commonly held belief, but I can tell you that Amongst my colleagues and and coworkers and people that I know, hundreds and thousands of us have done it. It's just not publicized because our media portrays people with mental illness and behavioral health challenges in a certain way. Yes. That, yeah. That actually. They stigmatize. Yes, they mm-hmm. stigmatize. But there's a whole lot of us doing a whole lot of good in the world, you know, so that's what where I try to use my voice to really you know it kind of reminds me of um because I had a huge turnaround I spent uh many years in darkness myself just recovering from well it being in you know domestic violence and sexual assaults and just Mm -hmm. a lot of um pain and alcoholism started in in 1999 and it ended uh, my god the last time I took a drink was 2012 but Amazing. that up until I finally managed to overcome it, I spent two years in, in a treatment center for women. I mean, I three different times, like, I, you know, I thought I was okay, then I'd leave and then I'd realize, oh, nope, I relapsed right quick. <laughs> Clearly, mm. there's some more issues to do. But finally, on the third time, when I, when I, when I was managed, to, I got to the root of the problem. Um, I'm exactly like what you were saying you want to scream it out to everybody hey you can do this and how i don't live in darkness i mean you can ask shelly i mean i'm, I'm like, like the light of the world like oh I'm, absolutely I'm, happy. I'm doing everything i'm trying to inspire people hey man like you know it doesn't matter where you're at 
uh, you can dig yourself out. You can, but you got to try. I mean, yes. I don't, I can't even begin to tell you how many tears I've cried, but I'm still walking forward as I'm crying. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm still moving. <laughs> even though half the time, I don't know really where I'm going, but I'm just following that intuition. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot, sure. but it is possible. You yes. know? And I think people that when they're in there, the depths of darkness, like I was and like you were, it's really, really hard to pick up that phone and um, make that call. And I think that is where it all starts. You have yes. to find the inner strength, the resilience, the courage um, to pick it up to get on get online get some free help look look for resources do something you know even if it's calling your best friend your mom your grandma whoever your daughter you're like doesn't matter but do something you know there's so much help available especially since covid like holy yep. crap right like I, I don't think there's a, an excuse like if, if you really want change you're gonna find the help that you need mm, yeah yes yeah, I think that for so many years, people uh, who were trying to get answers have been stigmatized, uh, labeled. There's been so much of that going on and trying to get the answers and trying to find the right kind of help. Hasn't that been kind of part of the frustration, Emily? Because it yes. almost feels like a lot of the mental health professionals don't really know Yes, yes, Shelly, you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, the treatments that exist, first of all, the system and navigating the mental health system is so challenging that yeah. honestly, even when I became involved in the field, I found it hard to find a therapist at certain times, you know, and I know the ins and outs of the field now, but when you are going through the worst of a struggle, and you're also yeah. trying to navigate this complex web. And then there's also this self-stigma where you're feeling like, you know, when your mind is not doing well, it tells you that you're doing this to yourself and that it's your fault, you know? And so, or at least it did for me, I don't like to generalize, but um, yeah, so, and, and I had so many professionals say things, you know, look at me as I was in that moment and say things like, you know, I know you are a college graduate, but I think the best you can do is, you know, working in a grocery store for the rest of your life. And there's oh. nothing wrong with working in a grocery store at all. I am not above any job whatsoever, sure. but but it had nothing to do with my interests. And yeah. I'm a, and also I'm a terrible grocery bagger. I would break eggs, you know, so it just, it's, it's, um, it's the kind of thing where people with mental illness can be pretty much underestimated and yep. misunderstood. The, you know? They're pigeonholed. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yes. and devalued too. I bet you, you felt that way. Yes, very mm -hmm. devalued and marginalized and really, yep. yeah, it was, it was difficult. But that is why I'm on a mission to do what I do, because it that level of, of stigmatization really lit a fire in me. 
and fueled this passion to not only get better myself, but also to light the way for the people behind me who are trying to get better now, you know, because I really want the world to know that you don't have to suffer for the rest of your life just because you have a diagnosis. And this is wonderful. So what was the initial aha moment where you realized you were getting better? What was it that you found that actually put you on that road? Yeah, so I think it was a combination of things and it didn't happen overnight. And, um, but I started to really learn to take care of myself and love myself in a way that I didn't do before. And the aha moment wasn't one aha moment. It was just a a gradual um, elevation of my state of being. And part of it, a big part of it came through meditation. But I think um, the way I like to describe recovery is it's kind of like the stock market graph when things are going well with the stock market. It kind of goes up a little and then it goes, it dips a little bit and then it goes up and then there's a dip. And recovery is like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. But the trend is still up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, I mean, there were so many moments along the way, but it started very simply with just getting out of bed and being willing to try to stay out of bed for a whole day, you know, yeah. and isn't I, that the truth? Yeah, I remember yeah. at my worst part, my my worst time, um, I couldn't even get out of bed. If I got out of bed and even combed my hair, it was a good yeah. day. Yeah, you know? I combed my hair. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. but I was but celebrating Ka- that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But Kathy, I'm glad you were celebrating that because yeah. it's these small victories. You know, I, I like to say that being diagnosed with a behavioral health challenge, and I include addiction in behavioral health mm-hmm. challenges too. I like to say that it's like trying to run the marathon with concrete on your legs. You are not, you know, you have an extra set of challenges to carry that maybe the next marathon runner next to you doesn't have. And so every step is harder. And so um, really those small victories, like, um, like you said, Kathy, getting up and combing your hair they add up eventually. And one of the skills I learned in dialectical behavior therapy or DBT is doing the opposite to the emotion. So if I'm feeling like staying in bed, I really have to push myself to do the opposite of that. And I act myself into recovery. I don't feel myself into recovery, if you know what I mean. Okay. What is dialectical therapy? I've never heard of that. So it is a um, a type of therapy called DBT, which is essentially um, it's coping skills. And it's taught in a classroom setting. And so the therapist is a teacher, really. And they teach you coping skills like deep breathing. And But it's much more elaborate than that. You get a binder and you take notes on the coping skills. And then between each session, they give you worksheets for homework where you practice the skills at home. And so, for example, um, when I was once really red hot and struggling with intense emotions and suicidal thoughts, one of the 
skills I learned was that I needed to distract myself. So um, I remember baking an apple pie for a man that I was dating. And while I was baking the apple pie, I was really mindful of what I was doing in the present moment. Like, you know, for those of you who have ever baked an apple pie, it's multiple different steps. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're slicing apples and you're rolling out the dough and, and being in the present and doing that or mindfulness was something that helped me to overcome and break into those suicidal thoughts. So there it's a it's a much more elaborate than that in terms of the amount of skills that are taught but um in between you you work individually with a therapist and you bring your struggles to them but they say okay what skills can you use so it's different than just therapy where you're kind of like talk therapy where you're just talking about all your problems with the therapist it gives you skills to use when you're not in the therapist's office and that was a real game changer for me it would be yeah Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors, coming up. Trucking Moves America Forward, or TMAF, is building a positive image of trucking by telling the story of the hardworking drivers and industry professionals who support the industry. And you can be a part of it. Learn more about TMAF and how you can join and be a part of the industry movement working to build a strong image of trucking by visiting TMAF's website at truckingmovesamerica.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our latest channel, TikTok. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're talking with Emily Grossman, who believes that psychiatric conditions are not a life sentence. You can recover, not just maintain. Emily is spreading that word and even trains mental health professionals on the concept that people really can recover from mental health conditions like schizophrenia and other disorders. She's living proof using methodologies like dialectical therapy that teaches coping skills. This is really life-changing, Emily. You know, it, it does seem since psych- psychology evolved, there's still a, a, the brain is a mystery. And as a mental health uh, consumer, if you will, you probably really felt super frustrated because you'd be on one medication, then they'd switch you to something else. Yes. These were things that, and they made you feel lousy and they weren't accomplishing anything other than maybe dulling you down. Yes. Um, and it, it does seem like, here, take a pill. That seems to be yeah. part of society, not yes. just for mental health, but for physical health as well. Yes. Yes. Shelly, you're so right. And you know, I am a big believer that medication can help. I still take medication to this day, but it got me to a baseline again, where I was able to just, you know, function, but the thriving that I've been able to do in my life has been more a combination of DBT, that therapy, and also meditation. And and having a whole arsenal of coping skills in my toolbox because I still feel intense emotions. Things still can get red hot, not in the same way they were for sure, but you know, 
stress happens. There's no such thing as a stress-free life. But now I have tools and skills to deal with it. And I wish everyone learned coping skills from a very young age because Mm -hmm. it just has made such a difference in my life. Wouldn't that be a game changer if we were all taught how to cope very, very young? Yeah. It would become second nature. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they teach things in school that, you know, they teach geometry. I have to say, I have not dealt with an isosceles triangle in years, (laughs) you know, but knowing how to cope with intense emotions is a skill I need much more readily, like every day, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, we learn a lot of stuff in school we'll never use again. It's <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't teach us how to cross the street. It doesn't teach us how to deal with stress when something blows up in our face. It's like, what do we do? Nobody's yeah. here to ask. Uh, and you just kind of have to wing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you think about it, animals don't wing it. They have instinct. And uh, yes. they observe their parents. And they kind of know what to do. Yeah. But I believe that, Shelley, that humans have that too. And that's where quieting my mind has helped me through meditation because I um, get these intuitions and these instincts and they come through very clearly when I'm meditating. And that's something that I think I always had that, but I couldn't hear it because there was so much noise in my mind, you know? I love what you're doing uh, with uh, working alongside um, mental health professionals because you're you're teaching them. I mean, they base things on theory rather than mm-hmm. having been there. I mean, I was just going to say that that it's so different when um, it's someone who like I know from from my perspective talking to a counselor who's never experienced anything that I've I've gone through, I found it really difficult for me to to um be more to be open as opposed to somebody who kind of like who somebody who's been raped or somebody who understands you know child sexual abuse or domestic violence or alcoholism it's different than when someone who's just read it out of a book or you know a theory so absolutely Kathy I'm I'm right there with you and (laughs) you know I think it's amazing what you've overcome and I think that I can relate to what you're saying about about talking to someone and feeling like it's just out of a book because when I was first diagnosed, I remember being in a hospital and a, a social worker literally said to me, you are bipolar. So that means that you have mood swings, you have high highs and low lows. Like I felt like she was reading out of the the yeah. DSM-5, which is the manual that people use to diagnose now. And right. I turned to her and I said, I'm not bipolar, I'm Emily. You know, because good for you. Good for you. Because I wanted her to know that there's a person in there. It's not just a label. I hear a movie there. I'm not bipolar. (laughs) I'm Emily. It really, I mean, that would have a phenomenal uh, message for people. You know, when you think about it, It, rather than being pigeonholed or labeled. Yeah. With some sort of diagnostic code or this or that. I mean, our world has been nothing but numbers and codes and we're people. It's so true, Shelley. It's so true. And, you know, one of the things that really helped me was that I was blessed to have two supportive parents who are just 
they're they're wonderful people and during the worst of my struggles my mom said to me emily i know you're still in there i know the emily that i knew before you were diagnosed and she's still in there today you know and all of people who have a mental health diagnosis it doesn't mean that that's exactly who they are is what you mm-hmm. read in a manual you know yep. it's it's there's we are such complex beings mm-hmm. and there's so much to us and my therapist at the time said emily you know it's just like if you shift the kaleidoscope the healthy piece of you is in there we just have to shift that kaleidoscope so that we can find that person again you know yeah and and I I think oh go ahead I'm sorry no 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 I was just gonna say and I I think that that's what recovery really is about Mm -hmm. is pulling up the healthy in you I like that yeah in finding the answer I I think you spend a lot of time kind of going around in circles and getting different diagnoses from different uh, therapists and professionals, they're just kind of throwing mud on the wall. That's not the way it should be, but unfortunately, it really seems to be that way. And I'm seeing, I don't know, maybe it's just my observation, but it seems like more and more, there's so many people who need help um, and they're not being addressed. You, you, You know, you hear about people going totally berserk. What happened? Why are we not reaching people. Uh, there's a deficiency in the mental health care system. Yeah. 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 You know, I think though that some of it um, is also a confusion about what mental illness is and what is just anger. Because mm-hmm. when I see the way um, someone who, you know, the way the media depicts people with mental illness, a lot of times, like when unfortunately crises happen, such as a school shooting or something like that, um, people are very quick to diagnose that person with a mental illness. Right. And sometimes the media <laughs> diagnoses the person with a mental illness. And honestly, as a person living with a behavioral health challenge and a mental illness, I can say that do committing a crime like that has never crossed my mind, you know, and people with mental illness are far more likely to be victims than perpetrators yep. of crime, yep. you know, but what happens is that kind of of emotion is rage and anger. And rage and anger are not necessarily the same as a behavioral health diagnosis. But when we conflate those two things and put them together, then people who really do need help don't get the help because they don't want to be associated with people that commit school shootings, you know? Good point. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think it's important that we understand that line and that difference so that we don't push people away from the care that they really need. Well, that's why I'm, this kind of a discussion is so important. So people can really get a, a new perspective that they hadn't thought of, because I think people do have dichotomous thinking. It's black or white, and mm-hmm. they have to put a label on something for them to understand it. And you can't do that. No, no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. And I just think 
that um, the reason why I speak out so openly, I mean, I remember when I first went out on social media and said, I have a mental health diagnosis, I'm working on my recovery. And I did it in front of all of my high school friends, all of my colleagues. And I did it on purpose because I feel like I want more people to know that people with mental illness can live highly productive and positive lives. And you know, when I was designing the cover for my book, I decided to put a picture of myself on the cover because I wanted to show really that people with mental illness are just like you and me. We're one in five of us, you know? It's so true. And bravo for you doing that. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in Northern Alberta, Canada, she's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at truckingmovesamerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. We're talking to Emily Grossman, who helps people overcome the self-stigma that accompanies mental health issues. She's helping people from being marginalized, and she wants to light the way for people who are trying to get better and give them the tools to recover from mental health conditions like schizophrenia and bipolar disorders. She wants the world to know you don't have to suffer for the rest of your life just because you have a diagnosis. You really can recover. So. Can people reach out to you, Emily? I know your book is out now and people want to read that. And I'm sure that some people would really like to maybe speak with you or read your book for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, I'd be happy to give my website and there's a contact me page on my website and it talks about my book and my book is really all about how um, mental illness does not have to be a a life sentence as you said earlier Shelley I really believe that it's a springboard to a higher more spiritual better self because it's these things that bring us to our knees that are really the things at least in my experience that caused me to seek more of a 
deep understanding of spirituality and that caused me to start meditating and to start living a a life of more depth and that experience you know i consider bipolar now to be my biggest blessing because it's brought me closer to my higher power and my higher self so yeah so I, I just, I have nothing but gratitude for the fact that I started experiencing what I experienced at such a young age. You probably wouldn't have done that sort of self-examination. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I was on a totally different track when I was um, in high school and, you know, um, I, I, my career interests were completely different and it, it also has created a level of compassion in me for others that I don't I, I just had no awareness of of others suffering because I hadn't suffered myself mm. you know for our listeners who may have just tuned in your book is entitled unlocked from psych hospital to higher self 25 keys to recovering from depression anxiety or bipolar disorder and they can find that on your website and various other places on the internet like Amazon. Can people reach out to you and even uh, talk about the, the dialectical therapy that you uh, had and uh, sure. some of the different things uh, that you found that were helpful? Sure. Yeah. My, would you like me to give my email address and oh. my website? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So my email address is info at, and my name, emilygrossman.net. So info at emilygrossman.net. And my website is www.emilygrossman.net. And you can learn more about the speaking I do and the writing that I do. I have also a small caseload of private clients that I see as a peer life coach. So I am not a diagnostician. I'm not a psychologist or a therapist. I'm just someone who's living recovery, who helps others to recover as well by inspiring them to walk the path, you know? I love this. Bravo to you on this. Yeah. I have never heard of a peer life coach. Yeah. People that need this in the mental health system. This is so terrific. Thank you so much, Shelley. You know, and it makes so so much total sense. I mean, when people are recovering, like you said, that word's used a lot. If people are in NA or AA or different yeah. groups, they have a sponsor. Yes. Mm -hmm. your person to help them yeah. walk the walk. So, I mean, it just makes so much sense for the mental health community as well. Yes. And there's a big community of us peer workers, at least in New York City, where I, I'm in New Jersey, but um, I work mostly in Manhattan now. And um, we have a peer specialist conference once a year. And I would say 300 or so people show up that are all peer providers. And so the work is becoming more and more recognized, um, just locally at least. And um, we're, we're hopeful to get the word out to more people that we exist. And it's a real paid position and there are certifications around it. Wow. And even Medicaid is starting to reimburse um, oh, excellent. in, in yeah. different states for peer providers because they recognize that peer providers are really strong when it comes to engaging folks in treatment because there's mm -hmm. not that judgment there. Mm -hmm. And there's not, there's that, you know, I've been through it. 
you're going through it and and you can recover and I believe in you and I'm not here to judge because I've had my own really dark times, you know? And that's so important. You've got somebody who, who gets it and who is not going to stand in judgment and, and make you feel like you're some sort of freak. I'm sure yeah. that that's a word that goes through people's heads. It's like, look, I'm a human being and the people that they're talking to quite often haven't been there. They don't get it. And it yeah. has no, it's no reflection on the person and who they are. Like mm. you said, I'm not bipolar. My name is Emily. Yes. That says it all. Mm-hmm. Yes. It does. It does. Oh, this is so phenomenal. Kathy, I had not heard of a peer. Um, what, what did you call it again, Emily? What's the well, official title? The official title is peer providers. Okay. But I just call myself a peer life coach when I'm doing it privately because people know what a life coach is. And essentially what I do when I work with people is I coach them around career, around their dreams and goals, because we really feel as peer providers that you can't organize your recovery around nothing, you know, and so many times when people are in treatment, they're out of work, they're out of school. And, and so really helping folks to dig up those dreams and goals. That's what gives people the excitement and the passion to start recovering. And that was my experience when I was finally in understanding why I was meant to walk this earth. That's when my recovery took off, which is terrific. Mm -hmm. Kathy, I'd never heard of this. Had you? No, I haven't, actually. No. I, I love this. This is, I am so glad, Emily, that we've had you on the show because uh, this is giving some people some hope. People who may not want to admit it to other people, even, but they can hear it on the show and say, I want to check this out. Because let's face it, when somebody's had uh, a mental health issue, their whole world can be hijacked. And that they don't stop being who they are. And to be told, like you were told, gee, you'll be just, you know, a beggar in a grocery store. That's that's not what people want to do if they've had dreams and so forth. And they're trying to get back on track with who they are. This is so important. Thank you, Shelly. And thank you, Kathy. I'm so honored to be here on your show today. We're um, honored to have you. This has been terrific. Thank Honestly, you. yeah. Thank you, Emily. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at info at tncradio.live. Thank you for listening to another great interview on tncradio.live. And don't forget, be sure to subscribe to our podcast of Women Road Warriors it's free. All of the material you hear on tncradio.live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of tncradio.live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at tncradio.live.